Welcome back, my friends, to another episode of the Shema Podcast. And let me talk about the topic at hand. It's sort of an extension of something I spoke about with Rabbi Yokoff Wolby probably a year ago on the topic of anti-Semitism. Because I proposed to him, I said, what is it with this hatred for the Jewish people? I mean, collectively, maybe excluding me, collectively, we are like the sweetest people, the high morals, high values, highly intelligent, productive, extremely kind, supporting the poor. I mean, what could be better on a resume for a group people that you would love? But for some reason, there's this ongoing hatred towards the Jewish people. And what he explained to us in summary was that when we received the Torah at Mount Sinai, God brought in anti-Semitism into the world. You may be asking, why, why would he do such a thing? Well, I think a way to understand that is, you know, when we offered us the Torah, we said, we will do and we'll hear. We'll do whatever it says, just because you gave it to us. But the Midrash says that he took the mountain and put it above them and said, now will you accept the oral Torah? Meaning you don't have a choice. You have to take it. So it's always been obviously an important part of creation for the Jewish people to come into existence and accept the Torah. And we did receive the free will acknowledgement that we will take on the oral Torah as we celebrate that during the festival of Purim. But the, the question at hand is, why did God do this? And it comes down to the fact that he needs the Jewish people to uphold the Torah. It's a necessary part to fulfill and complete this creation. And that is why this idea of anti-Semitism works counter to rational thought or how you see things happen throughout societies over time. I'm Typically, when one nation would take over another nation, what they would attempt to do is help that other nation assimilate into their culture. And if they assimilated, then they had become unified. But with the Jew, when we attempt to assimilate and forego the Torah and assimilate into their ways, just the opposite happens. Hatred is spurred against us. And it's the other nations that tell us and push us away. And that is how in a way, or, or the way, God, in fact, keeps us bound to his Torah. Now, there's something else notable here, and that is if you look at times when assimilation was on the rise, like the turn of the last century in Europe, you had Jews assimilating into the European culture, especially in Germany. And you had, of course, the Holocaust ensue as a result. But you had many Jews who were upholding the Torah, and they were affected by all that as well. And I think what God is telling us is that we are all bound together. We are one entity. We can't turn away and ignore our fellow Jew. We can't say, I'm studying Torah. I'm fulfilling the mitzvot, so I'm not going to worry about my brother who's not been exposed to Torah. And the same comes for protecting each other in every way possible. So I always saw anti-Semitism when I see it on the rise. My action items were, one, for me to do teshuva. To use as a sign, I saw that. Now, what do I need to do to improve myself? What am I being lax on. My other action item was I would donate money to Torch, who's spreading Torah throughout the world to Jews and donating to yeshivas. Because the more Jews get Torah, the more we fall under God's protection and begin to fulfill our mission here as a whole. But I just developed a third action item earlier this year. And it was after meeting the guest I'm going to be bringing on, Richard Green. And it reminded me of a Midrash I had read where 
after the Jews had the, the exodus from Egypt and they went through the, the Sea of Reeds and they just had this very lofty experience, shortly after then, they get attacked by Amalek, like this physical manifestation of this rebellion against God and there to invoke doubt in the Jew. But what was interesting when you read the Midrash is that the Jews were surrounded by the clouds of glory. They were in totally impervious. It provided a floor for them, protect them from the scorpions, anything else. It provided walls of protection. I mean, they were impervious. And the question is, is why did they leave that fortress to go out and attack and fight with Amalek? And the answer is, is that there were Jews who become impure for whatever reason. And they were unable to enter the clouds of glory. And because of that, the people, the Jews inside the clouds of glory came out to protect them. Now, they did not come out and give them a halakhic lesson on how to become pure so they could enter the clouds and enter that protection. They did not give them a musar lesson. They came out brandishing swords. And they came out to protect what was the imminent danger, which was the threat of their lives being taken from them. And so... This mitzvah that we have an obligation to protect fellow Jews in harm's way is something we are all obligated to. And there's an action item around that as well. I will tell you that action items do not involve, from my perspective, getting angry or feeling bad or liking the Facebook post that says stop the hate. There's greater things that we have an obligation to do. And that is why I want to bring on our guest, Richard Green, CEO of the Clarion Project. Welcome to the Shema Podcast, the podcast for the perplexed, where Torah insights intertwine through personal stories, as well as interviews with leading Torah scholars, demonstrate the empowering qualities of Torah and mitzvot. For more great Torah learning through Torch, the Torah Outreach Center of Houston, go to torchweb.org. Now to the show. Richard I wanted to have you on to talk about this. And if you could just sort of start and talk about your background and everything that sort of led to you starting the Clarion Project. Oh, everything is a lot, but I'll certainly, I would like to tell you a little bit about it. Okay. So I, I, I had the great fortune of growing up in a really nice area of the country uh, in South Carolina. It's called Hilton Head Island. Okay. It's a golf and tennis oasis. And great, great upbringing, really wonderful, a lot of fun playing golf and tennis and going to school, you know, high school and all those types of things. It was was great. At a certain point, though, I started feeling the reality of anti-Semitism there in Hilton Head. And that's not the reason I left, but it was certainly part of the reason that I decided I want to go to Israel. Okay. It was interesting because though it was an affluent area, we also had people who weren't affluent, who were coming in from off the island, or people, some people on the island, and they had that classic thought process that the Jews were an inferior or superior or a different race. Right. And I actually got in a, got in a fight or two about it, and I realized that there was no reason that this was happening. There was no reason why these people were trying to start up with me. I was friends with them all right. earlier in life, and all of a sudden because I was Jewish, things seemed to devolve. Yeah. So shortly after really thinking about if what I was going to do with my life, I decided uh, with my parents, of course, uh, that I would go to Israel for to learn Hebrew. 
for half a year. Okay. And that was like an awesome thing to do. It was like really creative and I was really excited to do it. And I had no idea where it was going to bring me, but I knew I wanted to go to, I wanted to go to Israel. Right. So we went there, I went there and I was, I was still 18 at that point. I was, when I, when I landed in Israel, I was 18 years old. Um, uh, and I went to a kibbutz Ulpan and I was so assimilated, Dan, I was so assimilated. I never met anyone who was further away from Torah than myself. Right. I never, all my years of study, never have met one person that was assimilated as I was. Perhaps, perhaps you're in the running. I don't know. We'll share notes afterwards. Exactly. Right. So that's my I got kind to, of fame is that I, I win the competition. But. Okay. Well, yeah, we'll see. We'll see. Perhaps you do. Perhaps you do. So, so it was, it was crazy. I, I landed in Israel and I wanted the adventure of it. So I landed in Israel and I saw all these dark people. Right. And right. I had no idea there were Jews because right. I figured all the Jews look like Ashkenazi Jews. I had right. no I, I had no idea. Right. I was like, what just happened? It was total <laughs> culture shock. And then I got into the into the cab going to the kibbutz that I was staying on in order to learn Hebrew and eventually got there and, and had a great time for five months learning Hebrew. But after that, I was supposed to go travel through Africa with a good buddy of mine. And again, the, the, the plans didn't work out. I ended up going to Jerusalem. To a place called the Heritage House. So you ever heard of the Heritage House? I have not. The Heritage House. I don't know what it is today in comparison to what it was back then. I know it's still active. It was a it was a free hostel, right? A free place to stay in Jerusalem. Okay. But you had to be Jewish. It was before birthright. Okay? okay. So I stayed there and I woke up one morning. I woke up the first morning and this guy comes and he says, you know, you have to leave the hostel from nine to five. That's a normal thing for a hostel. I said, all right, cool. I'll, I'll he says, by the way, you want a free breakfast? I said, yeah, I'll, I'll take a free breakfast. Right. And he goes, well. Oh my gosh, he looked at the schedule and he said, There's a place called Aisha Torah in the old city. You're in the, I was in the old city. And he said, If you go you listen to this first class, then for sure you can have breakfast there. He goes, As a matter of fact, there's a world class rabbi teaching today. So I found out afterwards he taught every day. <laughs> <laughs> but he was a world class rabbi. And I'll, you know who that was? It was Rabbi Noah Weinberg, who was wow. the head of Aisha Torah. He taught of the great rabbis in general. We don't think of them as teaching. The first class when someone walks into the door, right? Right. You think of them as teaching other classes, certainly, and accessible, but not right. the first class when someone walks right. in the door. So I'm telling you, uh, Dan, uh, I had the first experience of Judaism in that classroom. Amazing. And I did not decide to be more observant or anything the like. But what I did decide and what I did understand was there's a lot more to it. Right. So he looked in. I was sitting in the front row and I thought I was I was one asking the questions. Right. And he said you, to me, you asking when's breakfast being served? No, I'd already eaten breakfast. So I was all right. With, I was all right with that. But it was very good. If anyone wants to go to Ishatora, breakfast is fantastic. So I was asking questions. And before I knew it, before I knew it, he said, the middle class is richer. Would you rather be rich or happy? Great question. And, and it, but it wasn't even topical. Yeah. Right. Well, there's nothing. There's, we're talking about something else. Right. We're talking about like the Big Bang. I don't yeah. know. But yeah. all of a sudden, would you rather be rich? And I said, well, I would, I mean, I'd rather be uh, happy. By, I plan on being a wealthy person. And I don't think they're mutually exclusive by any stretch of the imagination. Yeah. And he said, well, what would you rather be, rich or happy? I said, well, I'd rather be, uh, I'd rather be happy. And he said, well, I'm going to teach you a secret of happiness the next 15 minutes. But if I do that, then you have to spend the next three months learning about your about Torah. Right. And I said, absolutely not. Like, this is like, remember, this is 1997. Like, David Koresh. Like, I don't know how many people out there still even remember that name. But it was like, well, yeah. Richard Koresh. Like, I was like, no way. So then he says to me, Richard, I'm going to give you $200,000 to stay in this yeshiva for the next three months. Now, before he'd offered me 
to the secret of happiness to stay in the yeshiva for next for three months. Right now, and I rejected it. This time, he offered me two hundred thousand, and I said, "I'll shake on it." And he said, <laughs> and he said "Richard, you like me, Richard, happy." <laughs> and I was like, "Oh my gosh!" I was like, 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 like "This is a whole different level of wisdom." I right. never even, and frankly, I never. I don't know if I'd ever seen wisdom before. I don't know if I'd ever heard wisdom before. Right. But I knew that that was wisdom. Right. So fast forward many years, and I'm in the yeshiva. I stayed in that yeshiva, and I, I learned learned about Torah, learned about my Judaism for you know 1997 till 2003, right? So a I stayed longer there longer than three months. A lot longer than three months, and had a great time. I was never so studious in high school, but I was learning for a large portion of that time from 9 a.m. until uh, with a two-hour break until 11 p.m. at night. And just loving life and loving the experience. And it was just fantastic. Some of the best years of my life spent. And at that time, I also created a fantastic relationship with this rabbi, Rabbi Noah Weinberg, who was the head of Asia Torah, who had given, taught that first class. And ultimately, he called me into his office with an associate. Uh, at that point, he was not an associate. And he said, you know what? It was after 9-11. And he said, outreach is important. I, I built my whole yeshiva around it. I'm a well-known man because of outreach right and if there's no one who outreach is more important to than myself uh, he felt the pain of the jewish people he felt the pain of god so to speak that more jews were so many jews were away from torah and, and the beauty and he said something that just like rocked us to our souls and he said that even though i built this institution on outreach right now the threat of radical islam he said that physical threat has gotten so pressing that's more important for you guys to fight that threat. Yeah. So we created a film, uh, not knowing if it was going to be effective or not, called Obsession, Radical Islam's War Against the West. And that became one of the most well-distributed documentaries in history, history with about 29 million copies made. Wow. So that was pretty cool. Yeah. So then we also made it on uh, – uh, we were big in the news cycle. As a matter of fact, if you would – if in 2006, mm -hmm. if you would have Googled Obsession – Right? right? You would assume the cologne would come up. Right. No, it was our movie. We were the number one hit. Yeah. Right? Wow. So uh, then we decided to make more films and more films and more films, create this thing called the Clarion Project. And that brought us to a point of really creating some very critically acclaimed films that have been seen by over 130 million people. And the fire to educate about the threats that Jewish people face and the world faces yeah. in totality was, of course, awoken from that conversation we had with Rev. Noah Weinberg. Amazing. So were you seeing responses from the people watching and you starting to see people that were more educated on the matter? And I mean, what, was, what was sort of the impact you were seeing as a result of these films? Well, it was vast. I mean, we, we, we literally, when we launched Obsession, we had some of the most powerful people in the country trying to contact us saying, wow, we've never seen a film like this. Yeah. Finally, someone who gets it and put right. it, put it on film and, and made a documentary about it. And yeah, it, it was tremendous. We were back then we were invited some really uh, powerful places and people were holding us in high regard that were uh, decision makers in our country. Right. Uh, and that was fantastic. And yeah. that was on the right, on the left. And, and it was just, it was, it was of course it was a national security centric a group of a groupment of people, right? right? So that's yeah. somewhat self-selective, right. but it wasn't a political issue at that time as yeah. much as it is today. Yeah. So here, when we speak about r radical Islam or far left, far right, automatically people's heads just go to politics. Right. Exactly. It, it, then it wasn't, of course there was that overtone or undertone, but it wasn't everything. 
right? right? So we got to talk to a lot of people. And yes, we changed a lot of a lot of minds and we educated a lot of people. And I guarantee you that the country's a different place because of our documentaries that we've made. That's amazing. But the Clearing Project has evolved since then. And uh, talk a little bit about that and, and how the organization has you know, become more active in helping law enforcement. So as we were doing the films and they were effective, we were also doing a lot of investigative journalism. And that investigative journalism really led us to understand that there, we had a, had a position and a place to fill other than documentaries, uh, uh, documentaries as well. But, right. And we realized because we were doing these films that there's so much radicalization happening online. And these people who are being radicalized, some of them are on the far right, some of them are on the far left, and some of them are radical Muslims, right? It's, it's, it, it's just radicalization. Right. We figured that if we start monitoring Facebook to some degree, right? Okay. All of a sudden, perhaps we would start getting some inclinations and we start to understand what's going on there. And one thing led to the other to the point where we're at right now. And if you ever saw the show, I think it was called The Catch a Predator. Did you ever see that show? You know what I'm talking about? It was about, yeah. it was about, I, I forgot that I should have, I, I should have kind of watched it, I guess, before I, I mentioned <laughs> it. But it was about huh? Chris Hansen. Chris Hansen. That's right. And what he would do is um, they would try to catch sexual predators. Yes. And they would do that by posing as somebody else and ultimately luring a sexual predator right. into a house. And of course, the police assistance, that person yeah. would end up being prosecuted, hopefully, for right. being a sexual predator. Yes. Okay. So it's a similar premise, what okay. we're trying to do. We're trying to figure out who wants to blow up a synagogue, who wants to hurt Jew the Jewish people, who wants to cause mayhem. And we're trying and we're right there trying to figure out how to stop them and how to help law enforcement find these guys and ultimately prosecute them. And we've done to great, great success. OK, so you're basically creating these like profiles that and creating the verbiage on there that draws people in. Mm -hmm. And that gives you the intel to, to help out law enforcement. Correct. Amazing. Yeah. Brilliant. Yeah. 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 It's it's been a wild ride and uh, we're still in the middle of it. Yeah. And it's the most gratifying work I've ever done because. There are people out there, especially after the Pittsburgh shooting, there are people out there that wanted to copy the monster who had shot up the synagogues yeah. there. And we ended up being brought into those conversations with the people who wanted to replicate the same carnage as that monster did. Yeah. And we were able to get involved and to help make sure that didn't happen. So I understand the, the, the law enforcement has, your, your working relationship with them has evolved the point where they're very supportive of what you're doing and almost in a way very dependent on what you're doing to get information well i wouldn't say they're dependent on it but listen dan if, if if you happen to be on a facebook chat or a vk chat in which there was any type of radicalization happening and someone was saying i have a bomb i want to set it off in a synagogue and you went to law enforcement with that they would take it very seriously okay and that's what we're doing gotcha excellent uh, but the organization, I mean, just recently with the, the plight in Afghanistan, I understand you guys had a lot of success there helping a lot of people. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's, thanks for mentioning it. I mean, listen, when the U.S. decided to withdraw our troops, many Afghanis came to us. And why? Because we were on Twitter and we were, we were vocal about how the withdrawal was going. And we wanted to help those who helped us. We don't want to leave behind people who have been supportive of our Western values to be killed by the, by the Taliban. Right. So we started creating lists and huge lists at that. And we started helping out the people on the ground. And to date, we have helped to get out over 1,700 people 
uh, including uh, at least 44 United, uh, U.S. citizens. So, and those are people who would have been killed otherwise. And we got someone out very recently, I'm talking about hours ago, who was in hiding and they were searching for him. And he was definitely going to, to be killed. And we helped get him out just the other, just a few hours ago. And before that, um, there's a bunch of Christian converts who were very afraid for their lives for, and it was a valid concern. And last week we got out a bunch of those folks as well. So uh, saving people's lives and the nicest part about it, not the nice, the nicest part about it is that we're saving people's lives. Right. That's the nicest part about it. But they also understand that there are still Americans out there who care about them and we care that they tried to help us and we want the best for them and we want to help them as much as we possibly can. We did not turn our back on them. And that is something that, of course, resonates in their ears. And when you're actually able to bring one to safety or many to safety, it's, it's a beautiful thing. I'll tell you one story. Last week, we helped get out a family and they were literally, the Taliban was looking for them and they were going to burn these people alive. I mean, that was the plan. And the woman was pregnant and she was into her ninth, well into her ninth month. Okay. And we got her out, uh, the family out, and a few, within a few days, she had given birth to a baby girl. Beautiful. Yeah, and she sent us the video of the baby girl, amazing. and it was just the most amazing thing to see. So you guys are obviously, you're, you're, you're flexible, you're adapting to things going on. I assume the, the reconnaissance and finding out and looking for these, the radicalization is, is an ongoing effort. Absolutely. I mean, how, how big is your organization infrastructure that you have set up to, to, to do this on a daily basis? So the, the, the organization in totality has uh, about 22 employees. And of that, many of them are obviously doing OSINT, open source intelligence. Okay. And they're the ones who are trying to find the bad guys, then ultimately reporting them to law enforcement. And uh, 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 we also have a newsletter that goes out every week, um, which is an aggregate of all of many different uh, areas, uh, sites or um, uh, uh, government they, they could be governmental sites or they could be uh, the New York Times or Fox News or wherever it is, mm-hmm. right, who is actually giving authoritative information that we feel is accurate. We will aggregate that information specifically on national security, nothing else. Okay. And then we'll shoot that out. We can shoot that out about once a week. Are you seeing the situation since you started this getting worse, better, sort of saying the same from when you got engaged with this? Oh, uh, it's much worse, unfortunately. Really? Uh, COVID, there was, there's somewhat of a, uh, I, we're, we're past perhaps the worst of it. I, I said with trepidation yeah. uh, in the short term, but as COVID was, had hit its, its height, you just had a lot of disenfranchised people who were underemployed or not employed. And they were watching conspiracy theory movies all day. Right. And when you're watching conspiracy theory movies all day, you kind of realize the Jews are the problem. Like it's not true. Right. It's ridiculous. Right. Nonetheless, that's what those people believe. So when it came to right-wing nationalism, we saw that at a feverish pitch. As well to that, when Antifa and the far left-wing groups had uh, taken over parts of Portland and and, and other areas of the country and were having so much, quote-unquote, success in doing so, success breeds success. So then you have a lot more people on the left who want to do acts of violence specifically against law enforcement. Um, not solely against law enforcement, but specifically uh, against law enforcement. Okay. So you saw people building bombs. You saw people loading guns and putting it all out there on their social media. And then, uh, of course, we were there to try to capture as much information as we could to keep 
everyone safe, including law enforcement. And when it came to the, uh, the Islamist threat, that waxes and wanes. When it comes to Islam in general, you have a concept of when they are when a, when a, when the Islamic nation is being is is successful, God is happy with it. When they're unsuccessful, God is not happy with it. So success really breeds success. Now, of course, when one's talking about a more moderate form of Islam, that is fine and well. Uh, so they'll go out and they'll try to do more charity or they'll do whatever it is that they deem in their eyes to be positive, which we in our culture deem as well to be right. positive. Exactly. Very consistent. Wonderful. Yeah. When you're coming, when you're talking about the terrorists, ISIS, ISIS-K, Jamaat al-Fukra, Taliban, all these players, that success in which they're presently having right. has now breeded the grounds for them to feel as if they should go more on the offensive. As a result, we have seen a huge uptick there in okay. the last few weeks. So it just emboldens more people because they think that God's looking favorably on their actions. Correct. And that continues to happen because it's, I mean, most people, I think, in this country since 9-11 is so far in the past. and We haven't had an attack here in this country. Mm-hmm. They become a little complacent. Like they don't think anything's really going on because it hasn't impacted us directly like that. But yeah. that's. Part and parcel because of, of what you're doing to keep those type of things from happening, I would say. Yeah, you know, our success is our biggest weakness because the more successful we are, the more complacency there is. Uh, that being said, and, and I, I understand this is a podcast in which we're espousing the beauty of religion and, and of, of God. And it's the, I see it in the intelligence side. I, I see the, the, the stories of if, if, if those of us who are not uh, who are listening don't know the stories of George Washington and how he was shot at and how he was riding horses basically on the front lines and how he, they were not able to kill him. It seems like there's a divine hand happening there when, when you read the stories, right? Yes. right? So too do I feel there's a divine hand when it comes to the reason why uh, more acts of terrorism have not happened here. It's completely counterintuitive. There are so many people out there who want to do acts of terrorism that are caught the last minute. And there are stories. There's a guy in Texas recently, not so recently, in the last three years, though. He was go. He had the guns. He had everything. He was driving to place X in order to do an act of terrorism. And the cops decided to pull him over because, like, he didn't put his blinker on. And there's no inside story there. Right. Like, I spoke exactly. to the guys involved with it. Yeah. There's no – I wasn't involved with it. But I spoke right. to the guys who were involved with it. And they're like, oh, yeah, you know, uh, it's just what, what we decided to pull him over. That's time the heads of the Fusion Center, not the actual guys who pulled yeah. him over. Uh, the Fusion Center is the center which deals with terrorism that fuses, hopefully, the F, the, on the federal level and the local level, the information coming in. Gotcha. Okay. Uh, so there's, these are the guys who would know. Right. And they're saying, no, we, just, we pulled him over. And it ended up. And that guy was really right. out to, to shoot up a bunch of people that day. Right. And that happens more often than can be understood under pure rules of rational thought. Right. And probabilities of – Correct. Exactly. So – your rabbi, talk about the, the the mitzvah because it is something of saving someone's life that is is something we're obligated to. We we can't be passive. Mm-hmm. You know, I can't do just like what I was doing before, and I see these things happening in the world, and just like, oh, I just need to go, just simply stay toward. There's, I need a, I can't turn my back on people, especially Jewish brothers and sisters that are in harm's way. Mm-hmm. So what I found with your organization is by supporting your organization, that is in effect leading you guys to take those necessary actions and be proactive in in helping people. Yeah, 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 yeah. Listen, uh, there's still such things as neighborhood watches today. 
they're not very effective. They might be effective because you know who's not supposed to be in your neighborhood and you can call the neighborhood watch. They figure it out. And it's, it, but I think it was a lot more effective in the 80s, probably more effective than in the, in, in the 70s. Right. And so on and so forth. The new neighborhood watch is online. Right. Right. And without putting a serious infrastructure in place, you're not going to be able to do it. Right. Right. And what we have done is put that serious infrastructure in place. So from the religious perspective, from the observant Jew perspective, we're in that hat. One who saves the life as if they save the whole world. Right. The Talmud states that. And it's, it's, a, it's a beautiful teaching and it's a very real teaching. Is that we're, we're all a world unto ourselves. The reason why God created mankind was, and each human being, is because we all have a higher purpose in this world. You know, our purpose is to do everything that we, that we have to do, work and so on and so forth. We, it's called a tafkid. We all have a specific reason why God put us here. Otherwise, he wouldn't have put us here. Right. Exactly. Right? Yes. That's the, that's the only reason. Right. Because, so so if, if one's life gets snuffed out prematurely, of course, God's in control of everything. Right? Right. But to the degree in which we can stop that from happening, we're saving the world. Right. Exactly. We're saving the world because we need all of us. And we need all of us in order to get the, the job done. And when it comes to support for the organization, we're thin. We're a thin organization. We don't have a huge budget. So every dollar goes a far way. So it's really cool because, you know, a lot of the way I liken it, and I, and I don't know if you'll agree, please disagree if you, because I know you're in finance. But when, when one invests money, they should probably have a, a robust portfolio, right? And they should have, they should invest in their Walmarts. And they should invest in their because that's safe money. Right. And then they should have their higher yield investments. Right. right? The small guys who are quick for the Silicon Valley types. Right. And you can really go exponential with those types. Right. So I like to think yeah. of us as being the Silicon Valley types because the small investment in comparison to what it would do for a Walmart. Right. Right. What it does for us goes a pretty far uh, a long ways. Well, that, that's I see like Sadaka for outreach like Torch. Mm-hmm. You know, absolutely. You know, and are supporting yeshivas is that when you, you know, teach one Jew Torah, you help basically do exactly the whole reason God created the world. Like yes. you're saying, if you know, we are partners in creation, mm-hmm. that's the other part of the equation. He wanted us to be involved with it, and there are all those people that you know we we it, it, we can't teach them Torah if they like you said if something happens to them prematurely. Right. So it is is a dual front. It is 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 appealing to their neshama and bringing them close, mm-hmm. but also keeping them safe. And yeah. That's part of the equation that you're fulfilling for us. Uh, absolutely, absolutely. And you know, th- there was a time as you. By the way, I didn't know that midrash that you said earlier today. Uh, I didn't. Uh, I didn't. I'd never even heard it before. It was, it was okay. beautiful though. Like like the Amalekites came. Like what? How they even get in? There should be right. clouds of glory. I yes. never thought of that before. Like, so you totally taught me something this morning. <laughs> it's pretty cool. It's pretty cool. <laughs> uh, but, 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 but there's a, there's a time for learning and, um, and that's necessary. Right. And we believe that there's an added benefit in the world of spirituality when the Jewish people are learning, right? There's a, there's this beautiful godliness that comes into the world. Right. And that is incredibly necessary. I mean, it's, it, it's what the world uh, stands on. Yes. There's also, as you were saying before, the beautiful midrash that you said, I'm going yeah. I'm I'm to I'm take it, I'm going to start using it. A time when even those of us who are in the clouds of glory yeah. leave the clouds of glory exactly. in order to keep our peoplehood safe. And right. of course, every generation, there rises up, everyone here, many people here, I didn't know, but many people before I became religious, but 
many people know the, the Passover Haggadah because they do the Passover celebration. And it says there that in every generation, someone else will get up and they'll try to destroy the Jewish people, right? Yes. We always have to be vigilant. Right. You always have to be vigilant because there's always, in every generation, there's someone who wants to get up and destroy the Jewish people. Yes. And to the degree in which we can be prepared for it, this is the degree in which we're going to be successful in stopping it, right? And thank God we're in a society, which is an incredible society of the United States of America, yes. who want to keep the Jews safe. They right. want to keep our peoplehood safe. They want us to keep our synagogues open. It's, it's just the most amazing thing. Right. It takes a little effort from our side to actually do some intelligence to help them keep us safe. And it's not just about the Jews, it's about the world. Right. It's about all of America, don't get me wrong. Exactly. But we're t- this, is a, this is a podcast and we're two Jewish guys talking <laughs> and we're both jacked up about Torah, we love it, and uh, spirituality. And of course, that's a, a motivating factor. Right, absolutely. And, and, and you know, the Jews have a responsibility to the world at large. Mm-hmm. This will be a light in the nations, not only as an example of the way we conduct ourselves, but in, in also making sure that you know, everyone in this country is is safe and, and around the world. So we appreciate that. So if someone wanted to learn more about the Clarion Project, how would they go about doing that? Uh, so, yeah, we have a website. You can just go to clarionproject.com.org. You can, of course, watch some of our films. I would request everyone here, it's not about donation, but go watch Covert Cash, which is the most recent film we put on YouTube. It's about 25 minutes. Okay. It talks about the incredible amount of money coming onto college campuses from Russia, Saudi Arabia, Qatar, UAE, and China. We came out with a report about that about three years ago, and we found out that not, it wasn't just those countries, but $10 billion was being given to universities from outside countries, and a lot of it was coming from nefarious players, right? And these are the five most nefarious that we felt it was coming from. So after we came out with that report, the rule is that anyone, whenever money comes in from out of country to a university campus because it's a 501c3, it's a nonprofit. Yeah. It has to be registered with the Department of Education. It's above $250,000, okay. $249,000 doesn't have to be registered. $250,000, it does have to be registered. Okay. But the problem was even the gifts above $250,000 weren't being registered. So the $10 billion was not all the money come, that had come in, right? Right. Rather, within six months after we came out with that article, it ballooned to $18 billion because universities had gone back and amended their tax returns because they were breaking the law because now we were putting scrutiny on them. Right. So this film covert cash isn't about the $8 billion they found. By the way, I bet you'd like to find $8 billion in your back <laughs> pocket. But, you know, uh, it wasn't about that. But it's rather about what is this, what influence is being gotten on university campuses and why is that money being given in order to buy that influence? So that's Covert Cash. It has about 2.4 million views online, and Amazing. everyone should listen. It's just so to watch What it. are they trying to do? Influence the mindset of the, the students on there through the universities to create anti-Semitism? Uh, well, it's not necessarily just to create anti-Semitism. The most egregious um, example, one of the most egregious examples is uh, Northwestern, for example. Northwestern was given uh, over $250 million by, by Al Jazeera. Al Jazeera. So it's the so uh, the Qataris, yeah. right? They run Al Jazeera. Okay. Right. Al Jazeera is a news station. That news station is incredibly anti-Semitic. Right. Like Holocaust deniers, anti-Semitic. Right. Like hating Israel, but not just hating them. Like 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 viciously hating Israel, anti-Semitic. Right. Yeah. And now one can go to Northwestern University, in where they have the Qatar in Qatar their media department, right? Okay. And get trained by guess who? Al Jazeera. 
and then you have a Northwestern degree, and that Northwestern degree has incredible cachet, is perhaps the great, best media department we have in the, in the country. Right. Right. So then those people get placed in Reuters and in CNN and in Fox News and wherever it is. And that influence obviously grows and grows and grows. So those are the types of things that are happening. But it's not just that. It's much okay. more. I mean, there's a, a college professor arrested every month and a half or so that are doing things illegally for foreign uh, countries. Right. The head of Harvard's chemistry department. Right. Was arrested working for the Chinese government and not divulging it. Wow. Right. And that happened within the last two years. And I mean, the trial, I, I haven't looked recently, but the trial in my head is, I think it's ongoing right now to figure out what's going on. I think, he, I think the number was like well into the millions of dollars he had gotten from the Chinese government. And like, why? Well, why? Yeah, exactly. What's going on there? Right. So these are the questions that need to be asked. And we do answer them to a large degree in the film. Amazing. Anything else you want to share with the audience, Richard? Listen, battling for the soul of Jewish people is the greatest mitzvah. Right. That's done in a spiritual way, like what Torch is doing and what other outreach organizations are doing. And it's done in the physical with what Clarion and uh, and other organizations are doing. But in in the vein of saying the the beauty of our tradition. Right. And of learning about it without making any commitments. But just to say, I want to go to that first class or I want to meet with that rabbi. Right. It's something that is life altering, not just because the rabbis are great, but. The word Torah is the, the root of that is instructions, right? So, so God gave us an instruction booklet on how to live. It's called the Torah. It's literally called the instruction booklet on how to live. Yes. Right? We yes. call it Torah. We don't know what that means. <laughs> like we still know what it means. We don't think of it this way. But right. it means this is the instruction booklet. Yes. So to the degree that one wants to have the instruction booklet straight from the Almighty, from the Creator, right? Right. It's there. And 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 and, and as easy as asking Rabbi Wolby or Dan or whoever else it is, or your local Orthodox rabbi, to just to peek into it, to see if those instructions seem relevant in your life. And my experience is, for me personally, they're very relevant, and they've uh, gotten to me in large part to where, in, in more in large part, to, 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 to the place in life where I am. And I hope that all of your listeners will at least consider, and I think they do because they're listening to your podcast, Right. but we'll, we'll consider just taking that little step into saying, I want to learn, I want to learn with a rabbi at least once. Beautiful. I, I appreciate that. And that's, you know, one of the things we, we talk a lot about is, is when it comes to learning Torah is taking it from the, the beauty we have with it is you're taking it from the intellectual and you're turning everything into action. You're incorporating to who you are, the way you think, the way you act. And that is the fulfillment of those mitzvot. And that's why I thought that having you on and talk about this subject was a very nice tie-in to this whole subject on anti-Semitism and, and what is a, a very important mitzvah that I think Jews need to be uh, uh, educated on and know, you know, there, there's a, they, they, we all have responsibility. We can't just turn around. Like I said, we can't just hide out in the cl- clouds of glory and say, Hey, I'm, I'm doing everything now. I'm going to ignore my brother and sister in every way. We have to be there for one another because the, that's what the almighty demands of us. Well said, Dan. Thank you for having me on. Richard, thank you so much. It was all a right. pleasure. Appreciate you coming out. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider supporting Torch so they can continue to spread Torah wisdom to the world by making a donation at torchweb.org and clicking Donate in the top right corner of the page. And if you would like to get in contact with our host with comments, suggestions for future topics of learning, or questions for him or his guest rabbis, you may email him at president at torchweb.org.